I don't discriminate against anybody. I serve everybody that comes in the shop. Unless they're gay and they want a cake for their wedding. Other than that, totally everybody. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. Never is. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. A lot to get to today, including Mark Joseph Stern of Slate to talk about uh, this week's Supreme Court rulings um, and primaries. It, it is primary uh, day on Tuesday in eight states, including Alabama, Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, South Dakota, and yes, right here in California, where Democrats may find themselves in trouble when the results come in with the state's top two or jungle primary system in in which everybody from all parties, all candidates from all parties run in the same primary. And whoever the top two vote getters are, even if they're from the same party, they will go on to compete in the general election this November. So that means, among other things, that due to the huge number of Democrats running in a number of U.S. House races out here in California, the vote could be split among those Democrats, allowing two Republicans to become the top two in several races, leaving Democrats off the ballot entirely in some of those races that they are counting on to uh, to win back the U.S. House this November in districts won by Hillary Clinton, by the way, in 2016. Uh, There are some seven competitive seats that Democrats hope to flip from red to blue in California alone, but they may be shut out entirely in a number of them. Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, It's not you sound you you don't sound too. um, uh, What is it, Desi Doyen? Um, I am troubled by it. I am troubled. I am disappointed that that's how the system now works, because I you know, it, it seems like it's undemocratic. Undemocratic, unsmall d democratic. Yeah, unsmall d democratic. Well, that's um, what 
Apparently, the voters in California wanted back in 2010 when they changed the primary system on uh, through a ballot initiative that the state legislature, the Democrats there in the state legislature, wanted to see on the ballot. So that's where we are. Um, and, and it looks like it very well could backfire. It so could backfire on those Democrats. They'll figure it out eventually. By the way, it's not just the House races where there are tons of uh, c- candidates on the ballot. In fact, there are 27 candidates on the primary ballot alone for for governor alone to replace outgoing Jerry Brown. There are 32 candidates vying for Dianne Feinstein's U.S. Senate seat, including Dianne Feinstein. UC Irvine election law expert Rick Hassan tweeted today that when he went to vote here in California, a poll worker told him that at least 10 people at uh, his table at the polling place had overvoted for both governor and or U.S. Senate because the names for all of those candidates extended onto two pages. So it looked like it was two different uh, contests. Um, now, I, I received uh, a, a warning on my vote-by-mail ballot, which, by the way, I don't recommend that most people do. But I received a warning from the L.A. County uh, Registrar's Office about the fact that there were 27 candidates for governor, 32 candidates for U.S. senator, and uh, to only vote for one candidate in those races. But uh, because here as well, uh, in the, the vote-by-mail booklet that they send you, the candidates were split up over two parties. So over, I'm sorry, over two pages. So we'll see. We may have a lot of overvotes, particularly for people who voted by mail. As Hassan noted um, at the polling place, overvote catching software uh, gave the signal to 10 people who tried to vote and who had accidentally overvoted. But folks who voted by mail, which is now a huge number, I think it may be a majority now in California. They won't be so lucky. So hopefully they notice before sending in their vote by mail ballots, which is, of course, just one of the reasons I encourage you to vote in person on Election Day at the polls rather than by mail, unless you absolutely have to. Uh, Although the polls here in L.A. County today, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, We've had some problems here, Uh, according to the L.A. County Registrar, Dean Logan, who tweeted out, if your name does not appear on the roster at your polling place, do not be alarmed. You will be given a provisional ballot to be able to cast your vote. Provisional ballots are processed and counted in the election returns, he says. Uh, Some have said, apparently, that at some precincts, more voters are filling out provisionals than regular ballots at the polls because of some kind of error with the paper um, poll books. When Logan was asked on Twitter why uh, there are what 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 this problem is about, he says it's a random issue with the print job that ran the paper rosters. He says it does not affect your status as a registered voter. We apologize for the inconvenience of the provisional ballot. However, it will count and we will resolve the issue for November. Well, I hope so. Meanwhile, up in South Dakota, in Rapid City, uh, the uh, NBC affiliate up there reports problems with the electronic polling books. Uh, Polling stations in eight South Dakota counties using the state's electronic poll book system were hit by computer glitches. 
Oh, oh that's our favorite. Yes. The, the glitches. Glit- and glitches, the- hiccups, snags, and snafus. I saw Indeed. another one today, a blip. It was called a blip. Oh, that's a new word that they've decided yes. to use. When people can't vote, it's just a blip. Uh, apparently, ele- the state's electronic poll, uh, poll books were hit with glitches that we don't yet know, but the uh, counties affected are Brookings, Brown, Hughes, Hyde, Pennington, Potter, Sully, and Yankton. In Pennington County, um, the uh, NBC affiliate reported this morning all polling stations, or I should say this afternoon, all polling stations have uh, got backup paper polling books, which they should have had in the first place. Because, yes, computers fail, you might have heard. The uh, NBC affiliate uh, says that effective polling stations will likely have their hours extended because under state law, each polling location must stay open for a minimum of 12 hours. In any event, we will have noteworthy results and um, I suspect other problem reports and much more on our next broadcast for all eight states holding primary elections on Tuesday. Today, other than that, we've got a number of what I'm going to call sort of wins, sort of victories today. Mostly wins, I guess, in, uh, in some legal cases, including at the U.S. Supreme Court this week. The always great and clarifying Mark Joseph Stern, as I noted, will join us shortly for that. And uh, a sort of win, a sort of victory, even involving the not very stable Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill, who continues to violate the First Amendment Amendment rights of those who attempt to follow him on Twitter, but find themselves blocked by him for daring to politely disagree with him. As I was blocked, as Rick Hassan, who I just cited, uh, was blocked, uh, and many others. You can read the crazy thread of emails I received last week from Secretary of State John Merrill at bradblog.com as I uh, went, as I reported in great detail last week. John Merrill is on the ballot, on the Republican primary ballot on Tuesday in Alabama. But uh, we have some victories there. But so let me let me start here to sort of set this up a a sort of victory from the White House. The U.S. Justice Department said on Monday it would appeal against a federal judge's ruling that President Donald Trump may not legally block Twitter users from his account on the social media platform based on their political views. Jamil. Jaffer, a lawyer with the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University, which successfully sued on behalf of seven individual plaintiffs, one of whom Rebecca Buckwalter Poza, a legal journalist we interviewed on this show several months ago. Uh, Jaffer said that the uh, real Donald Trump account had now unblocked the seven plaintiffs on Monday after that favorable court ruling last week where the federal judge found that Donald Trump was violating the Constitution by blocking these people. And indeed, uh, Rebecca confirmed on Twitter on Monday night that she had uh, she and the other plaintiffs were finally unblocked by Donald Trump, even as his Department of Justice, oddly enough, appeals the case. Which is strange. Okay, so they're appealing and yet they unblock these people. The attorney here, Jaffer, said in an email that we're pleased that the White House unblocked our clients from the president's Twitter account, but disappointed that the government intends to appeal the district court's thoughtful and well-supported ruling. 
Trump has uh, made his Twitter account with more than 52 million followers and obviously an integral and controversial part of his presidency, using it to promote his public agenda, to announce policies and to attack critics. U.S. District Judge Naomi Rice Buckwald in Manhattan had ruled on May 23 that comments on the president's account and those of other government officials. Talking to you, John Merrill were public forums and that blocking Twitter users for their views violated their right to uh, free speech under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, he's uh, Trump, ha of course, has been blocking all sorts of people. Seven of those people have now got their uh, their access to Trump's feedback. But others like novelist Stephen King and Anne Rice, comedian Rosie O'Donnell, uh, actresses, military veterans, political action committee, votevets.org. They are also blocked still from Donald Trump and his uh, Twitter feed. The judge rejected the argument by the Justice Department lawyers. Yes, we paid for his defense uh, that Trump's own for his own First Amendment rights allowed him to block people with whom he did not wish to interact the judge rejected that, noting that Trump instead could just mute users instead of blocking them, meaning those users could see what he had to say, but he wouldn't be bothered by, by what they had to say. Which is a point that I tried to make to the Alabama Secretary of State as well, but he was having none of it, and he is still having none of it. Uh, so a sort of victory, a sort of victory there, with at least Donald Trump for now as they appeal the case. But in Alabama, also a sort of kind of victory uh, because the corporate media has finally decided to notice that the state's uh, the Alabama state Republican secretary of state, John Merrill, is blocking all sorts of people himself, including journalists like myself, constitutional and election law experts like Rick Hassan and, of course, his own constituents. But uh, as he told me in that crazy email storm he sent me last week, he has no intention of following the Constitution or the rule of law, despite being on the Republican primary ballot on Tuesday. So it only took, what, about a, a week since we initially reported on uh, that crazy string of emails. Uh, it's been it was last December that he actually we reported on his cra the crazy conversation we had with him on Twitter before he blocked me. But in any event, Alabama media has finally noticed what I've been trying to let Alabama uh, voters know uh, about for the last week, at least. Uh, Andrew Yawn at the Montgomery Advertiser finally jumped into the case, sort of, noting that Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill has no intention of unblocking anybody on social media after a federal judge ruled that President Donald Trump blocking uh, the blocking of uh, Twitter followers is a violation of the First Amendment. The ruling, the paper notes, was specific to Trump only, according to coverage by The Washington Post. So it sounds like the reporter didn't bother to read the, uh, no. the, the ruling. Why would you read the ruling when you can just read somebody else's article about it and write about that instead? Uh, yeah, because actually the judge referred to all public officials in her ruling, but the case was only filed against Donald Trump. In any event, uh, it may, uh, the paper, uh, Montgomery Advertiser notes, it may have set an important precedent as online boundaries for public officials are defined within the context of public records and freedom of speech. 
Merrill, Jan says, who is infamous for blocking those who disagree with him, as well as those he calls trolls on Twitter, said he will continue removing followers from his digital presence if he feels so inclined. He said, I'm not unblocking anybody I've already blocked because there's a reason those people were blocked. Exactly the same thing he said to me. Uh, Anyone else that I feel needs to be blocked in the future will also be blocked. Anybody who wants to contact me can call me on my cell phone at 334-328-2787. Yes, I'm giving that cell phone number. Because I work for the people of Alabama. Roll Tide, Merrill said to the reporter. So uh, that's the cell phone number that he had given me several times. He actually got angry at me that I decided to redact that number when reporting on this for some reason. It seems like he, he feels that if he gives out his cell phone number, that's good enough. There's no reason to have a public record of conversations, a written record that people can go back to. The reporter says a Twitter search showed several instances where followers engaged Merrill on Twitter at his John H. Merrill account before later claiming the secretary of state blocked them. I, of course, am one of those uh, people. And uh, he notes that one of the more uh, one of the more prominent followers blocked appears to be Rick Hassan. An election law expert at the University of California, Irvine, who had tweeted that Merrill blocked him after he corrected Merrill about Alabama law regarding recounts. When Merrill on election night on CNN last December during the U.S. Senate special election between Doug Jones and Alabama Chief Justice Roy Moore, Merrill went on the air and said that Moore could ask for a recount, uh, even if the uh, margin of victory was more than 0.5 percent, which would trigger an automatic recount. Hassan at the time wrote on his blog that the statute does not allow for this uh, for this type of, uh, of of recount for federal offices. And he took to Twitter to correct Merrill about it. Hours later, Hassan noted uh, tweeted, he said, quote, rather than respond to me on the merits, the Alabama secretary of state, its chief election officer has blocked me on Twitter. Unreal. So now uh, what the paper and its reporter, Andrew Yawn, don't note here is that Hassan was right and the secretary of state was wrong. Also, I was right, and the Secretary of State Merrill was wrong on an issue concerning the state's election tabulation computers, and that's what I got blocked for. So Jan doesn't mention that. Why? I don't know. He seems to mostly be giving uh, the the stage here to Merrill um, to to give his side of the issue, I guess. But hey, at least they're covering it, right? That's something. Well, maybe a yes, sort of victory. Yes. yes, it's a sort of sort victory. of victory. Yeah, I told just yeah. drips and drabs, you know, in the 24 hours before the uh, the actual race is occurring. Sure, that's plenty of time for uh, voters to actually get a a good view. Yeah, no, it it, it came at it's hours before voting started on Tuesday in the primary in Alabama. So they just waited until the very last minute. By the way, uh, Yawn, the reporter, notes that Merrill asks specifically that his cell phone number be included in this article a number that is also found on his business card. So uh, he's got a thing about that. In any event, um, it's not a matter of being trolled, as Merrill states in this article. It's a matter of him being wrong and he doesn't like it. And those of us who politely note it get blocked for it. 
that despite the fact that it is unconstitutional. But hey, it's a uh, a sorta victory. Uh, let's see one more sort of victory here in Arizona. The state's top election official has agreed to remove a series of hurdles now in the path of those who want to register to vote. In a consent decree on Monday, Secretary of State Michelle Reagan has agreed to not demand proof of citizenship to register for federal, state and local elections if people have already provided such proof to the Motor Vehicle Division to, uh, to obtain a driver's license. She also agreed. Well, they understand had to, that? They had to do it twice. You have to do yeah. it first. You yeah. have to dig your documents right. out when you go to the DMV. Then you have to dig them out again. If to... you register to vote. Wow. Yeah. Because that was part of this uh, Prop 200, that 2004 ballot measure, uh, some of which was already found to be unconstitutional. It was crafted in part by uh, Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who had tried to force the same restrictions in his state of Kansas, uh, as well as uh, in Arizona here, where in both states it has kept thousands of people from properly being registered to vote in the state. Actually, not from being properly registered, but from being allowed to vote. So now the Secretary of State has said, well, in this in this agreement with uh, uh, a number of groups who had sued her, that, okay, if we already have that information from your driver's license, you won't have to do it twice. Also, uh, this agreement will make it easier for people who are moving from county to county who won't have to provide new citizenship proof at their new address. Yes, okay. that's right. If you move between counties, you had to go find those papers again. And um, she also agreed to accept voter registration forms from those who do not have proof of citizenship to let them at least cast ballots for president and members of Congress. So if you live in Arizona and if you can't find proof of citizenship papers, not just I.D., mind you, but proof of citizenship papers, your birth certificate, etc., uh, you, you're not able to vote in Arizona for state races, but you can vote for uh, federal races, presidents, members of Congress, because, yes, it would be uncon blatantly unconstitutional and illegal to prevent voters from voting in those federal races. But they don't mind violating the rights of voters, apparently, uh, when it comes to state races in Arizona and in Kansas City. At least for now, this agreement will allow um, tens of thousands, as many as uh, 26,000 voters who have been withheld and unable to vote at all uh, in just Maricopa County. That's uh, Phoenix. 26,000 voters were disenfranchised by these policies. So that is uh, some good news. It's also good news for students, one of the student groups who were uh, suing in this case. Uh, the executive director of the Arizona Students Association said this is a victory for Arizona students. For lawmakers to hear the student voice, students must have access to voting. We are thrilled that students will no longer be required to fill out duplicate forms or dig up their original birth certificates and passports, which made access to the ballot difficult for no good reason. Uh, Adrian uh, uh, Fontes, the uh, new 
uh, recorder clerk in Maricopa County was the first one to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try to register the, these voters who are these 26,000 voters who have properly filled out their form, but they're sitting in a stack not included in the rolls because they didn't include citizenship papers. He said he decided I'm going to go to the state database, the driver's license database, and see if they're already in there. I'm signing them up because that means they've already proved their citizens. So uh, he has agreed to this uh, as well. So good, good for uh, him. Good for Adrian Fontes in Maricopa County. We've had him on the show. It's been a while. We should have him back. Uh, and good news, at least for some voters, a sort of victory for a whole bunch of voters uh, for now in Arizona. All right. Speaking of sort of victories, both the anti-gay bigots. And the civil rights advocates, um, both of them had a sort of victory on Monday from the U.S. Supreme Court regarding whether cake shops can discriminate against same-sex couples. Mark Joseph Stern of Slate joins us to explain the case, which I noticed when it came out, many in the media were misreporting, or at least reporting rather misleadingly. We will try to clear all of that up as we try to make sense of that sort of victory. Next on the broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Hey, Mark, do you know why we're playing that music? Uh, no, I do not. Okay. That would be the Masterpiece Theater uh, theme. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, well, this is another sort of win, sort of victory today, maybe even more so, though you uh, certainly wouldn't know it if all you saw were the headlines covering Monday's 7-2 to two decision at the U.S. Supreme Court, many of which indicated that the anti-gay baker at a Colorado cake shop won his case at the Supreme Court. Well, he did. Uh, sort of. But the Trump administration, which backed his supposed right to discriminate against a gay couple on religious grounds, did not, at least by my reading, uh, accurately described what the court actually found. In brief, the case arose when Charlie Craig and David Mullins, who had been married under a Massachusetts same-sex marriage law back when the state was, I believe, the first in the nation to allow such weddings, they sought to buy a cake to celebrate at a reception in Colorado. When Jack Phillips, the owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop, learned that the couple was going to use the cake to celebrate their wedding, he turned them away, claiming that his religion barred him from making a cake for a same-sex couple. You remember that passage in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not bake a cake for the reception of a gay wedding. 
That even though Phillips routinely made such cakes for opposite-sex couples. The ACLU subsequently filed a complaint in the state of Colorado on behalf of the couple, claiming that Phillips's actions violated the state's public accommodations law, which forbids businesses that serve the public from denying service on the basis of race, sex, sexual orientation, and, and so forth. The Colorado Civil Rights Commission agreed And they found that Phillips was, in fact, violating the law, and they ordered him to stop. Phillips challenged that finding, and the Colorado Court of Appeals ruled in favor of the plaintiff's complaint against him. So Phillips, he decided to make a federal case out of it, which made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court, who on Monday issued a 7-2 majority opinion authored by Justice Anthony Kennedy in the Baker's favor. Sort of. As described by David Cole, the ACLU's national legal director in The Washington Post today, he says in law, as in less civil arenas of conflict, you can lose a battle but win the war. Cole and other LGBTQ advocates argue today that the court's majority opinion on the case is actually a victory for them, or at least not the loss for civil rights advocates that the Trump administration tried to paint it as on Monday. In the Supreme Court, the Baker won, Cole writes, but not on the ground he principally advanced. In fact, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, whose Department of Justice filed an amicus brief uh, arguing in favor of the Baker's supposed right to discriminate here, issued a statement saying that the DOJ was pleased with the court's decision, which... Sessions said underscores that, quote, the First Amendment prohibits governments governments from discriminating against citizens on the basis of religious beliefs. The Department of Justice will continue to vigorously defend the free speech and religious freedom First Amendment rights of all Americans, he said. Donald Trump, for his part, who was likely told, you won, sir, tweeted out late on Monday night, quote, big Supreme Court ruling for Baker just out. I have a feeling Mr. Trump didn't actually read the opinions in this case, or he might not have been quite as happy about it. In fact, as the ACLU's Cole notes following Monday's ruling, Charlie Craig and David Mullins, the plaintiffs, could go right back into Masterpiece Cake Shop today and request a cake to celebrate their wedding anniversary. And if Jack Phillips refused them, he would have no First Amendment right to turn them away according to Justice Kennedy. Joining us to clarify all of this so that we all know what really happened in that decision on Monday is the great Mark Joseph Stern, the man who will be uh, will be turning to quite a bit, I suspect, as the Supremes prepare to release a lot of big and long-awaited decisions this month. He, of course, covers the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, and LGBTQ issues, and much more for Slate.com. And today we have this long-awaited U.S. Supreme Court ruling on an LGBTQ-related issue. Mark Joseph Stern, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thanks so much for having me back on. Always a pleasure, especially in a busy, busy June. Cannot believe you didn't recognize the Masterpiece Theater uh, theme song. I guess that uh, shows how old I am and how old you are not. I am duly embarrassed. You should be. All right, so this is uh, this is being described as a, a, a narrow victory for the baker, even though 
Texas Senator Ted Cruz is citing the fact that it was a seven to two decision, not a four, five to four decision as his argument on Twitter. And he's the great uh, constitutional expert. That's his argument that the ruling was not narrow. What are the facts here, Mark? And, and what did the court decide and not decide in this case, as you report at Slate, that gay Americans have little to fear from the Supreme Court's compromise in Masterpiece Cake Shop? It is objectively narrow, despite what Ted Cruz asserts. Uh, and in fact, the vote count 7 to 2 kind of illustrates that. As, as a general rule, the more justices that you see signing on to an opinion, the more likely uh, that that opinion will be narrow and will resolve the case on uh, grounds that justices across the ideological spectrum can agree on. Uh, and that's exactly what we saw here. We saw seven justices. Um, all of the justices except for uh, Ginsburg and Sotomayor agree that Colorado, uh, specifically the Colorado Civil Rights Agency, the Civil Rights Commission, mm -hmm. had uh, expressed hostility toward religion in its dealings with Jack Phillips, the man who turned away the same-sex couple. Now, the commission did not say, we hate Christians, uh, we despise Christianity, but uh, several commissioners did uh, compare discrimination against gays to discrimination against Jews, discrimination against blacks, uh, and noted uh, correctly, I think, yeah. that discrimination has often uh, been supported by claims of religious freedom, that uh, bigots will often cite their religion uh, as a pretext to justify their uh, bigoted actions. I think that's kind of just a statement of fact, but the court said that it's something that adjudicators of a live dispute should not bring up. And uh, by bringing this up, by expressing this kind of, uh, quote, hostility toward religion, uh, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had violated Phillips' First Amendment right not to free speech, but to free exercise of religion. Uh, and so the court, again, 7-2, to two, reversed the judgment below and sent the case back down, uh, expressly leaving those free speech questions undecided. He left them undecided, although he's, he, uh, Kennedy, made it, I think, pretty hard for future cases uh, you know, to, to discriminate here in some of his comments. But for a moment, just to stick to the point you made about these commissioners, essentially he dinged the Colorado commissioners, said that uh, they... Uh, well, reading what it is that he actually cited that he was so offended by or that he claimed to be so offended by. I mean, literally, here's what uh, one of the commissioners said. Freedom of religion and religion has been used to justify all kinds of discrimination throughout history, whether it be slavery, whether it be the Holocaust, whether it be. Uh, I mean, we we can list hundreds of situations where freedom of religion has been used to justify discrimination. And to me, it is one of the most despicable pieces of rhetoric that people can use to use their religion to hurt others. That seem, that does not seem to me to be offensive and disparaging towards religion at all. It seems to be right on the money. And he yet Kennedy claimed that he was very disturbed by this. Was he looking for a reason to kick the can down the road and this was the one he found? Uh, or is this just a reminder that, you know, Kennedy, even though he's the swing justice here in many of these cases, uh, that he's really still a so-called conservative at heart? 
Well, I think it's a mix of both. And uh, Think Progress's Ian Milheiser wrote that Kennedy basically thinks Christians, uh, anti-gay Christians in particular, are special snowflakes in need of a safe space. <laughs> and that sounds about right to me. Kennedy is definitely a conservative at heart. And uh, he has uh, correctly held that anti-gay laws, for instance, disparage gay people's dignity. Uh, and so he seems to be applying the same principle here at a much broader level, saying that any kind of comment made by a state actor, a, a civil rights commissioner, that even hints at a possibility of disparagement of religion is off the table and prohibited by the Free Exercise Clause. Now, I, I think you're also on to something when uh, you, you wonder whether he just wanted to get this case off of his docket. I think that's also correct. And it's important to remember that this case first came to the court before Justice Gorsuch was appointed mm -hmm. uh, and confirmed. Uh, and it was relisted over and over again, meaning there were not four votes to grant cert to take the case. Not long after Gorsuch joined the court, that fourth vote materialized and the court took the case. And I think that Kennedy did not ever want to hear this case. He didn't want to decide it. And once it was in his lap, he knew he'd be the decider. And so he found this very narrow ground, you know, obviously limited to the facts at hand, because these comments are, are not something that other commissioners have made or will make in the future, uh, and said, I'm going to resolve it, and I'm going to send it back down and not have to deal with it anymore. And I think if that was his goal, he did it more or less successfully. Well, why wouldn't he just uh, make this you know, a lot of people were waiting on this case it seems like a small case this this one guy and this one cake for this one wedding but apparently there's a lot of uh, anti-gay bakers and florists uh, <laughs> across our country and a lot of people were waiting on this case why wouldn't he just m make the ruling he's been a friend uh, to the LGBTQ uh, community in the past I think uh, he wrote the the ruling on marriage equality why wouldn't he just say, no, you cannot discriminate on this basis, period? Well, Kennedy is a free speech absolutist uh, as far as they come. He generally does rule in favor of free speech, even when it encroaches on gay rights. So, for instance, he ruled that the Boy Scouts have a First Amendment right uh, to exclude gays from their ranks. Uh, in, a, in a very hotly contested five to four decision. So he is a friend to the gays, but he's also a huge fanatic about freedom of expression. Uh, and I think he saw this as kind of dividing him down the middle. Part of his jurisprudence is devoted to the dignity of gays. Part of it is devoted to the freedom of speech. And this required him to rule, in his view, one way or the other. Uh, and so I think he wanted to, as they say, have his cake and eat it too. <laughs> yes. He didn't want to sully his reputation uh, in any quarter. Uh, and so he was able to kind of split the cake or split the baby right. and uh, issue this ruling that gives conservatives what they want as a baseline, right? A ruling for Jack Phillips, a vindication of their years-long fight for him, but doesn't give them any ammunition, any fodder for these other battles, because, as you noted, the opinion has a lot of uh, stray comments that suggest that, as a general rule, non-discrimination laws are constitutional. Civil rights laws are constitutional. And the First Amendment does not generally prohibit uh, the state from just telling bakers 
Sears and Floris and everybody, if you open your doors to the public, you have to open them to all of the public. I do hope that those uh, two plaintiffs go back to that same cake shop and try to buy a cake for their uh, for their anniversary. That would be because they, according to this ruling, in fact, uh, Phillips would have no right to turn them down. But was Philip the baker here? Was he was he even fined? In this case, by the Colorado um, uh, Commission, or was he just ordered to follow the law and stop discriminating against gay people? the latter. This is, it's crazy wow. that this case even went to the Supreme Court, yeah. frankly. It was taken there by Alliance Defending Freedom, which is an anti-LGBT law firm, uh, and it wanted to use this as their test case. Uh, so they pushed him not to settle, not to compromise. Uh, but the Colorado Civil Rights Commission treated him with kid gloves. It just told him, look, you have to serve customers equally, regardless of their sexual orientation, and you have to train your employees not to turn away customers on the basis of their identity. That was really it. That was all that he had to do. Uh, and yet, it became, as you said, a federal case, and now it is a Supreme Court precedent. And so Jack Phillips will forever go down in history as the guy who wouldn't bake the cake. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Now, there was a, a, a sort of uh, reasonable point here that Kennedy, uh, he had found, finding the uh, Colorado Civil Rights Commission, that they had acted inconsistently in cases involving um, this opponent of same-sex marriage versus uh, at least three other occasions where he'd found that, where the commission had found that a baker acted lawfully in declining to create cakes with decorations that demeaned gay persons or gay marriages. Uh, Kennedy seemed to suggest that uh, the Civil Rights Commission was uh, not consistent in their uh, decisions when it comes to, I guess, free speech. Maybe that's a fair point. Why is it lawful to decline to bake an anti-gay cake, but not a cake for a gay wedding? Well, there's a, an important distinction here that actually did divide the court, uh, and that is that these other three cakes... Uh, they, they had words, images, and text on them. Uh, these other three cakes, they were the result of a test case uh, brought by this anti-gay advocate, uh, and he went to these bakeries and said, I want you to make me cakes that say disparaging things about same-sex marriage and gay people on them. Uh, and the bakers refused, and then he took his case to the Civil Rights Commission, which dismissed them. Uh, in Masterpiece, Jack Phillips was not asked to put any text or images on the cake. Uh, just asked to bake a normal wedding cake with no words. Uh, and so the distinction here is one between uh, forcing a baker to actually write something out in icing, to write something like gays are bad, sodomy is evil, same-sex marriage is evil, uh, and compelling a baker to just do his job, which is to combine ingredients, bake them, and frost it. Uh, and that is a distinction that uh, the liberal justices wrote separately to say they found constitutionally important, uh, and that the conservative justices, Gorsuch and Alito, wrote separately to say they thought was not constitutionally important. Uh, the majority opinion by Kennedy doesn't really answer the question. It gestures toward that uh, fact, but it, it says at the end of the day, we're really relying on the statements made by the commissioners, not these test cases. So it's really an open question uh, whether it matters for First Amendment purposes uh, if customers are compelling a baker to actually write something on a cake uh, or if they're just asking a baker to bake them a cake. 
David Cole, the ACLU attorney who argued the case uh, at the at the court, says in his op-ed uh, that the court was wrong on the notion that religious freedoms trump state laws, so to speak, uh, citing the court's 1990 decision in Employment Division versus Smith, ruling that a Native American tribe could not invoke its religious beliefs in uh, peyote use to avoid the state's criminal prohibition on smoking peyote. So uh, can the case be made here, Mark Joseph Stern, that uh, some religions are allowed more religious liberty and freedoms than others by this court? Uh, Unfortunately, I think that is the case, and I think we'll see a very graphic illustration of that later in this term when the travel ban case comes down. Uh, That case revolves uh, somewhat similarly around claims of religious liberty, religious discrimination, and hinge on statements by government officials. In this case, President Donald Trump and his associates. Mm. Uh, And in that case, uh, plaintiffs argue that Trump's anti-Muslim animus, his many uh, anti-Islam statements, uh, taint his executive order with impermissible religious animus. Now, I think that if the Supreme Court applied the same standard uh, to the travel ban case that they have applied in Masterpiece, uh, the court would have no trouble striking down the travel ban as a violation of First Amendment religious freedoms. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I do not think the court's going to be consistent. I think that instead the court is going to wind up applying a much stricter standard when it's Christians' rights on the line than when it's Muslims' rights on the line. And we're all going to be very disappointed in this kind of inconsistent religious liberty for me, but not for thee. Yeah, really. Well, all right, on this cake case in any event, uh, what happens now? Next here, I, 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 I believe I read there's a, a pending case of a florist uh, that is currently with the Supreme Court. Uh, what, what happens next? Does this, uh, does this legal group, this, what is it, ADF, uh, do they have uh, more such cases? They're the ones who sponsored uh, Phillips' case here. Do they have other such cases pending before this court? Yes, there is a case called Arlene's Flowers that the court will actually consider in conference next week. Very similar fact pattern uh, involving flowers instead of cake. Uh, But here there is no hint of any kind of anti-religious animus. Uh, And so I think this will provide the court a good opportunity to clarify what exactly they meant uh, in Masterpiece Cake Shop. Uh, They could affirm the lower court's judgment, saying that, yes, a state can compel a florist to make a bouquet for a same-sex couple. Uh, They could just sort of clear out the lower court's judgment and send the case back down for further consideration. Uh, Or, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, at that point Gorsuch will have somehow affected a coup, and he'll say... uh, uh, no gay people get any flowers at all in this entire country. It's uh, it's going to be a surprise no matter what, but this is certainly not the end of the issue. That's the, You say that case is, is being heard next week, or we're expecting a, a decision it's on it? It's being considered by, uh, in conference. So they will decide whether they want to take it ah. for next term, whether they want to hear arguments, or whether they want to do something to get it off their docket, gotcha. like summarily affirm it or just send it back down. So if they decide to take it, then it would be next uh, term, and it will be a year from now, essentially, that we'll be getting the, the decision in that case. That's exactly right. Buckle your seatbelt. And all right, very quickly before I let you go, Mark, uh, the Supremes also dispatched with a case on Monday in which the Department of Justice was hoping to punish the ACLU for suing 
on behalf of an immigrant teen who was detained by the Trump administration and had attempted uh, to get an abortion while she was uh, being detained. Uh, very quickly, what, what happened in, in that case? Well, this is all good news. Uh, thankfully, the Supreme Court unanimously swatted down the Justice Department's attempts to punish the ACLU attorneys who had helped this young woman get an abortion. Um, you know, the DOJ under Jeff Sessions has gone after the ACLU really hard. They're, it's very vindictive, uh, and it actually asked the Supreme Court, to, as you said, to sanction these poor lawyers who were only helping their clients. And it should be noted that when the ACLU helped their client get this abortion, they were following the orders of a lower court that had expressly ruled uh, that this woman had a right to terminate her pregnancy and that the DOJ could not interfere. Uh, so this was a really flagrant effort uh, to simply intimidate and harass legal opponents of the administration. And the Supreme Court said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get involved with this and dismiss the case. And I think that was almost certainly the best of all possible outcomes. Well, see, there we we do have uh, some good news today. That's, a, I think, not just a sort of victory. That feels like a full victory, uh, at least for now in that particular case. Uh, Mark Joseph Stern, as ever, appreciate your clarity. I know uh, I had uh, promised, threatened, warned, whatever, that we were going to have you back uh, throughout this season as the Supreme Court continues to release. It's like, what, every Monday or so for a while, they're going to be releasing these pretty big rulings over the next few weeks. That's exactly right, and we have more than two dozen left, so Boy. truly it's going to be a thrilling and dispiriting June. <laughs> Both of them. All right, we will look forward to that. We will look forward to you joining us for as many of those as we can possibly get you for. You're always great. Mark Joseph Stern, check out his work at Slate.com. Check him out also on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. And I think that's it for now. Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much. Talk soon. You bet. Okay, quick break, and we are, oh, we are back with a Green News Report and Desiree Doyen. What? That's right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked the cake. Baked the cake. Baked a big fat cake. <laughs> if I knew you was coming, See? I'd have baked the cake. How'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? See, I wanted to play the uh, masterpiece theater music. You wanted to play uh, If I Knew You Were Coming, I'd have baked the cake. Yep. Everyone is happy. See, <laughs> it's a sort of victory for everyone. See? Of course, normally we play our uh, Green News Report, uh, Melt With You, but instead... Victories for all, <laughs> sorta. 
All right, speaking of which, Desi Doyen, I guess we got to get to it. Our latest Green News Report. Lifting the restrictions on clean, very clean coal. We're going to put the miners back to work. Trump administration moves toward unprecedented bailout of failing coal plants. What we're seeing with this decision here is that it's given the lie to the idea that the Trudeau government is really serious about tackling climate change. Canada's prime minister nationalizes controversial tar sands pipeline. New renewable electricity surpasses new fossil fuel generation. Plus, G7 nations subsidize fossil fuels to the tune of $100 billion a year, despite pledges. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This guy could tweet about the Hawaii volcano. Would he make it about him? I'm orange and gassy. Where's my headline? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, speaking of volcanoes, we've all been watching this volcano in Hawaii and sort of out of nowhere, a deadly eruption down in Guatemala. Yes, you're right. Uh, Down in Hawaii, residents living on the flanks of the Kilauea volcano have had some time to evacuate in advance of slow-moving lava that's destroyed nearly 120 homes and a geothermal power plant. However, many were not so fortunate in Guatemala, where the aptly named Fuego volcano erupted violently and suddenly on Sunday with a pyroclastic flow that has reportedly engulfed several villages and killed more than 60 people as of airtime. Hmm. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., President Trump is trying a new tack to bail out financially struggling coal and nuclear power plants that are unable to compete against cheaper renewables and natural gas. He's ordered Energy Secretary Rick Perry to find ways to save those uneconomical coal and nuclear plants from retirement. And now a leaked administration proposal calls for asserting emergency federal powers to force grid operators to purchase electricity from coal-fired power plants, regardless of the cost, under the pretense of national energy security. It would be an unprecedented intervention into U.S. energy markets that would raise rates on consumers and increase air pollution. And for those of you who forgot, this would also be the government picking winners and losers, specifically picking coal and nuclear as the winners, and everyone else apparently as the losers. Yep, and of that new proposal, the nation's largest grid operator, PG JM Interconnection said in a statement, quote, there is no such need for any such drastic action and warned that this kind of federal intervention would be damaging to the markets and costly to consumers. And this is not necessarily going through. This is a draft plan from the Trump administration. They still have yet to announce officially this uh, notion under national security measures. Yes, it's still just a draft. We'll see if it stays that way. Meanwhile, in Canada, indigenous tribes, environmental groups, and the province of British Columbia have all condemned Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's decision to purchase the Trans Mountain Pipeline system from Houston-based owner Kinder Morgan for $3.5 billion. Trudeau committed unspecified additional billions in taxpayer money to complete a stalled expansion of the pipeline as well. In an interview on the broadcast, Alex Dukas of the nonprofit group 
group Oil Change International called the nationalization of the pipeline a betrayal of Trudeau's promises to act on climate change. This is sort of how do we use every government lever at our disposal to support industry and to make sure that these projects go ahead, irrespective of the cost to the Canadian public and irrespective of the environmental and climate damage. They basically pulled one over on the Canadian government for a failing project that they knew wasn't going to get built. Dukas says that both Trump and Trudeau now appear to be more alike than he had previously hoped. They're both willing to step in and nationalize parts of the fossil fuel industry, but not for the reasons of a managed decline of the industry to help address climate change. No, it's to prop up the industry and and keep the dollars flowing uh, to the petrostate and to uh, coal executives. And now a new analysis finds that wealthy nations still spend more than $100 billion per year on government subsidies for fossil fuels, despite their pledges to end such subsidies by 2025. In a report released on Monday in advance of the G7 summit in Canada this week, the researchers said, quote, governments often say they have no public resources to support the clean energy transition. Yet Britain, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan and the United States have taken no steps to phase down the $100 billion a year in support for fossil fuels at home and abroad. Finally, some good news. Reuters reports that a record amount of renewable electricity capacity was installed worldwide last year, as the cost of wind and solar is now even more competitive with fossil fuels. The report found that in 2017, more new renewable energy capacity was added than new fossil fuel generation. We'll take what we can get. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. We've got some uh, additional news since we laid down our Green News report earlier today. Yes, uh, Hawaii state officials have now come out and said that in the Kilauea volcano eruption, that now hundreds ha- of homes have been destroyed and were destroyed overnight. Mm. So it's uh, it's quite an extensive eruption, and it's going to go on for a while, it looks like. And also in the Guatemala volcano, that uh, the death toll is expected to rise, unfortunately. Yeah. I was going to say, at least the good news news uh, looking towards uh, Guatemala in Hawaii at least we don't have the same kind of a death toll right so there is that a sort of victory all right that's it for today we got to get out uh, we will be back with election results and problems and everything else on our next thrilling broadcast until then my thanks to our producer Desi Doyen to Slate's Mark Joseph Stern and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us it is greatly appreciated if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime at bradblog.com for free or at your favorite podcast site. You can also drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Always good to hear from you. And you can find and follow me and share me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Bradblog. Also, our thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. To help us stay on the air, those of you who have subscribed for uh, any amount you like, a monthly subscription, you guys are the ones who keep us going as long as we can over your public airwaves. Though, of course, uh, one-time donations 
at bradblog.com slash donate are greatly appreciated and much needed as well. So however you can help us, we'll try to help you in return by staying on your public airwaves and uh, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.